Welcome everybody! Another week of Adventures Weekly. Week 18 actually, my lucky number. So very happy to be here. It is the third episode of Season 2. So far in Season 2 we've had Andrew Dog Palfrey and also Ian Big Fella Murray. Today's guest Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. We'll get into that as quickly as possible. So for all you regulars who know how this runs, it's time for... Sailing News in 60 Seconds-ish. 60 Seconds-ish. Let's do our best. The Youth Olympic Games, which were set to be held in 2022 in Dakar, have been postponed to 2026. Very smart decision there. The Ocean Race have announced a 12 month postponement. They will now start in Alicante on in October 2022. They haven't decided on date yet and finish in Genova, Italy, summer of 2023 to celebrate their 50th Jubilee. Very wise to make those decisions early. I really love this. Zyke, who you know I've been involved with previously, they have actually put out a weatherproof face mask. So I think this is quite cool actually to get on the bandwagon and hey i mean we're not selling that much sailing gear at the moment so good job zyke on putting out a weatherproof face mask the kite for world series has been cancelled really sad to hear for 2020 but i'm sure they'll be back in 2021 like all of us and the 2021 flying 15 worlds which was set to be held at a freshwater bay yacht club over on the other side of our country only 5,000 kilometers away they have been postponed as well. So that will probably now happen in 2022. It depends on their cycle, I guess. Now, big news. The Vendée Globe, as we know, is still set to start on the 8th of November. We'll have to wait and see what happens. It looks like the Vendée Organising Committee have called up a press conference in a month's time. So I'm guessing they're going to make a decision either way. Meanwhile, Jerome Bayeux of Chiral, won the Vendée Arctique Les Seblons Durant. So congratulations to him. And speaking of round the world voyages, now it wasn't a race, but it was a race against herself and a race against records. The first woman to sail solo, non-stop and unassisted around the world. Our guest today, she's also a bit of a legend. It's Kay Cotty. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Great yeah. to see you again. We did try to make this work last night, but our pesky yeah. country internet, because where are you? I'm in Yamba. Yamba, and I'm in Milton, yeah. and we just couldn't make it click. So no. short short postponement so we could have a, a nice Friday night with our mates. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Uh, I tried to do it from the boat. And we don't have good internet up here at all. Yeah. Well, I can sympathise with you there, but what I what I might do actually, I can bring up a few pictures of your boat now instead of us actually being there. This is how beautiful it was. This was going to be your broadcasting studio. I mean, look at that. Yeah, I ripped out most of the interior. I've got a Moody Eclipse 43. Amazing. And I had to replace the tanks and everything under the floor, so I ripped out most of the interior. And um, I love designing interiors of boats. So uh, that's actually what I was going to do before I left. I had my first commission to design an interior of a boat. And uh, it was Hammer of Queensland, actually. And 
I'd done the initial rough sketches and then I got my sponsorship and went on my trip. So I did go aboard the boat after I got back and I saw that they followed roughly my sketches, not pretty rough sketches, I've got to say. How cool though. So you've always had a love of boats. I think a lot of people don't know that you came from a sailing family as well. Your dad was a sailor. Yeah, dad was a sailor. He built a boat in our backyard when I started when I was five and finished when I was seven and a half. So I was always in the workshop playing with tools and getting into trouble. (laughs) And today uh, you loved that we reset the time to 10am because you're meant to be helping your son send his boat. Yes, my son uh, pulled a little surprise on his father and I and he went and bought um, an old, very old, hood 20. Oh my gosh. And uh, I've spent the last three or four weeks working on it with him. I thought I was over the fiberglass each other, I tell you. I'm too old for it. Oh. And pulling around underneath the trailer, grinding out osmosis and everything. So it's going to be the perfect good 20 when it's finished, I can tell you. Oh, I bet. I'm just looking at another photo of your boat here. Will you do the in- interior of the hood? I mean, this is your boat. <laughs> no, I don't quite like that. It's not quite like that. <laughs> it's the cabinetry. I, I love making room. And yeah. that actually, where that seat is, was a big bench oh, wow. going right out into the saloon and the navigation station went right up a lot higher so you couldn't see out from the galley which is just down below behind that yeah and um and also i think that when people um design interiors of boats in yachts in particular medium-sized yachts they they put in dinettes and you spend maybe an hour a day sitting at the table eating a meal. Mm. And I always am of the opinion you want a lounge area rather than a dinette. A lounge that can convert to uh, eating area, dining area, or a, or a sleeping area if you need. And, yeah. and so boats I've built have always been built around the lounge. Yep, which makes sense. Because These are cruising boats, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't spend that much time in your kitchen at home, so it really doesn't no, make sense. Well, not in the kitchen. I'm talking about when you sit down to have a meal. I mean, yeah. you want to sit down, and relax, and have a drink with your mates. You don't <laughs> want to sit up like a stuffed dummy at a table that's up under your chest and yeah. things. So, <laughs> um, first lady would have lounge bunks in the saloon. Oh my gosh, first lady. Oh. Let me see if I've got a little picture of her here. I think I've got a glamour of you actually on here. <laughs> That's of her in the museum. Yeah. So beautiful. I think what we might do, Kate, we're going to have a little bit of a look for those who are watching and maybe don't know your history. Uh, what we might do is put on a video that the ABC have given to me, which they got ready for the Australian of the Year Awards. You were the Bicentennial Australian of the Year in 1988 to celebrate your 189 days at sea. (laughs) So let's have a little bit of a look. We'll have a bit of a look at this amazing video and thanks to the ABC. 
Mum and Dad, they were totally taken aback when I said what I'm aiming for is to be the first woman to sail single-handed non-stop around the world. And they were both speechless for a bit and then they started with their questions. Finally they said, OK, and my little nan who gets seasick, looking at boats, said, I'll leave her alone, I reckon she can do it. I just didn't have a clue. In my mind, it was like looking down a tunnel and there was the happiness and there was tears and there was absolute terror. The worst night in the entire voyage was off the Cape of Good Hope, which is known as the Cape of Storms, actually. I was blowing up to 50, gusting 60, and I've had an hour and a half leave in three days. Totally out of control with no sails up. And I nearly lost my life three times that night. And I can tell you, your life does flash before your eyes. It's amazing. But I survived it, and I would do it again at the drop of a hat. She finally sailed into the history books just after 12.30. When I got back, I actually said to my girlfriend, what are all these people doing here? Because as we went into Darling Harbour, there were hundreds of thousands of people. And she said, they're here for you, you idiot. And I just started to cry. I said, what do I do? What do I do? And she said, just wave. So that's what I did. The 1988 Australian of the Year is Kay Cotting. It was announced at a lunch on Australia Day that I was the Bicentennial Australian of the Year and still couldn't believe at that moment, even when I was presented with the award by Bob Hawke, I couldn't believe. I was the one that was chosen to be Australian of the Year. Humbled and bewildered by this great honour that's being bestowed upon me today by the country that I love so much. A big thanks to ABC for sharing that with me. Kay, a few memories? <laughs> Nearly made me cry. <laughs> I cried when I first saw it yesterday, so <laughs> it's all good. We're even. Uh, but a pretty magical experience. And I love that you just went, this is my goal. I'm going to sail around the world, non-assisted, solo. And you did it. There's a lot of people who make a goal but never actually bring it to the forefront. Yeah, pretty single-minded. <laughs> you have to say, when I decide to do something, I usually do it. Mm. And I guess your poor dad... I actually have something here for you. So I had a bit of a chat to Marcus Blackmore yesterday. <laughs> I did. And so he sent me uh, a few words and, and I found this really interesting. And he said, where is it? Okay. So basically when you wanted to actually name your boat after your dad, there was no way he could say no. But Marcus said that your dad was like, you have to stop her. You can't let her do this. This is ridiculous. How can you be supporting my daughter to do this? And he said, well, she's very single-minded. She's going to do it anyway. We may as well support her to the best of our ability. And that's why he supported you, which I found absolutely beautiful. Yeah, he was a wonderful support. Absolutely wonderful. So yeah, he's one of my greatest friends. He's a funny bugger. He's yeah. just getting into the boat and, and I'm um, hopefully 
depending on COVID, yeah. going to help deliver his new boat from Cape Town to Fremantle and around to Sydney. Amazing. In September, but it'll depend on borders and things like that. And yeah. Whether you can get in and out. You might end up having to do your two weeks quarantine in Fremantle in the arena <laughs> on a beautiful boat. You'll we'll have to do it in South Africa as well. Oh, God. My mother's still alive and she's 96 and a half and she's up here with me in Yamba. So I don't know about being away for a couple of months, really. Yeah, that's fair too. It's been a very interesting year this year. I mean, talking about sailing solo around the world and we've had a whole heap of people struggling with being locked down. Uh I know. I love it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Love it. Um, because I can go between home and, and my boat and put on my boat. And, and the marina, Peter and I um, and his friends own Yamba Marina. And the marina's classed as an essential service. So we've been open the whole time. Perfect. But um, and, and it's been incredibly busy. And all the boats have been stacked up here waiting for the Queensland border to open. And then it was an absolute mass exodus for them to all go. They were anchored all over the Clarence River, waiting for the border so they could go up north. And yeah. um, that happened last week. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. quiet. <laughs> no, it's not quiet. Still, it's still very, very busy. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Really? Probably um, why your marina internet was not so good last night on the Wi-Fi. The cord is good. <laughs> no, I wasn't using the internet for the marina because I was out on my boat. So good. Yeah, and for those who may have just joined us, um, Kay Cody and I just having a bit of a bit of a yarn. So Marcus said, you know, so he's decided to support you. Um, you have then said, I want to name my boat after my dad, even though the – the boat was sponsored by Blackmore. So most people call it First Lady Blackmore's, but it's actually named Jim McLaren. That's Jimmy Mac. Jimmy Mac? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That came about when I was sitting around having drinks with friends. We were sitting on the boat in the backyard of the garden flat where I was building First Lady. And uh, I remember we had a resin drum at the table and we are all sitting in the cockpit and the boat was in pieces, and I said, I'm trying to decide on the name. And um, one of my friends, I said, I'd like to call it after my father, saying he got me into sailing. And one of my friends said, what's his name? And I said, James John Daniel McLaren. And he said, Jimmy Mac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I think we're very lucky. I've spoken to a few women about it as well. Um, it's interesting who enabled us effectively to be able to get involved with sailing and, and for a lot of us it is our fathers i'm the same my dad and i've raced together for 25 years so yeah. it's it's a pretty amazing thing yeah well i was the youngest of four girls and um we always did the harbour races out of the cyc so i was at the cyc before there was a proper clubhouse even so and um, there used to be the boat crew because Dad had a, a, a seabird, Alan Payne seabird that he built in the backyard and he would race every Sunday in the winter series and offshore. And um, there'd always be Mum and the four of us girls. So cool. Board. I'm yeah. the eldest of three. 
So similar. <laughs> it's really cool how it happens. I think I ended up being the boy, but that's okay. <laughs> I'll yeah, take that. Sorry. I was the last and I wanted a boy. I'm first, and so it can go either way. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, very cool. And something else Marcus told me, so he said he remembers you crewing for him in a Lord Howe race. The weather was absolutely stinking, and Kay was down below cooking up a storm. I asked her, what the hell are you doing? The rest of the crew were all spewing their guts up, and there was no way they were going to eat anything anyway. And he said that from that trip, that's when he had every confidence that you would be totally fine to go around the world and look after yourself. Yeah, that was very funny, actually. I said I'd only go as cook on his boat. And when we got to Lord Howe, I went in to get dressed. I, I did another race up to Maroolabar with him once, and I came out just as we were going to Maroolabar dressed in high heels and the handbag and everything like this, and said, right, I'm ready. And, and the crew thought that was hysterical. But then when we got to Lord Howe, there were, I think there was about eight guys and myself, and I went to the loo and came out, and they were all sitting around the saloon waiting for their meal because I said I'm going to dish out dinner now and they're all sitting around and they all had um, chef's hats on you know the really good yeah, yeah, yeah. chef and they said we've decided we're all going to be the cook you can be the crew <laughs> <laughs> up you went solo <laughs> yeah that's right it was very funny oh it's good the banter is is very strong I love that and so I mean doing your solo around the world race Obviously, there's no banter. How did you keep yourself focused, or do you just love being alone that much? Um, I enjoy being alone. I talk to myself, obviously. Um, bashed his ear a lot on the trip. Um, I had the radio. I could talk. Um, there were no satellite communications in those days, and no GPS or sat maps and things. So. I used to talk on the two-way radio to um, Roger Badham and uh, Derek and Janine Barnard from Pentecostat. I don't know if you remember them. They they used to be the radio base for virtually everybody in Australia and half the world. And uh, so I used to talk to them when I could get through sometimes. And I also talked to mum and dad because they were living on their boat at the CYC at the time. Oh, and just before I left, I installed a brand new radio um, that was the same as First Ladies, which was one of the very first computerised radios, so you could program in any frequency for anywhere in the world, and it was pretty amazing. And um, and Mum used to get on the radio and, and flatten my batteries if she could keep me talking. And I realised that I used to get a bit short with her and. You know, she'd be telling me stories on, about people I couldn't care. And then I realised, after I said over and out one night, the reason she kept me talking was because she didn't know if she'd ever hear from me again. Mm. So I let her flatten my batteries a bit more and then... Yeah, that's, that must have been hard for a mum, and now you are a mum as well. Can you imagine one of your kids going off to do something similar? Yeah, well, my boy is not 
been that interested in sailing. I mean, he, I used to take him out sailing before he could walk in the laser. We lived on pit water and I'd put a bit of water in the laser and he'd just sit in the cockpit and splash around. And then when he was nine months old, he started running. So he used to run around the foredeck of the laser when I'd take him out sailing, which was very funny. He still amuse everybody we'd pass. Um, and then he went off and did things like um, rock climbing and um, mountain biking and all those scary things that I wouldn't even think about. Yeah. And I started to think, well, okay. <laughs> I was just as bad in my own way, so he's going to do what he's going to do. Better to support them apparently. I think so. <laughs> oh my gosh I think I've just got the some more words from gosh I got an essay we had a phone conversation and then he sent me like a big market it's a big <laughs> summary <laughs> and, um, yeah he messaged um that Eric and Janine Bernard who were monitoring your voyage they said that you basically had a journey plotted so that if you lost communication for some reason they'd be able to work out whether you were okay or not that's very clever yeah, yeah that was I worked that out with biff don biffin who's yeah. i think he went to put it out with marcus he's one of marcus's oldest friends and he's also a great mate of mine mm. and um, he was in charge of all the safety gear in the charts and first lady had we had to get it specially from france it was the very first um beacon and it was a sealed unit on the deck and it would send a signal to a satellite of the boat's position and then that would be sent to France and then France would telex Blackmores with the boat's position. Mm -hmm. I say telex, there was no emails or anything like that, yeah. web or anything. And, um, and so Biff and I sat down and we worked out um, if something went wrong, say I lost my rig but I was going to with a jury rig and keep going or whatever, I'd sail in certain directions. I'd have a rough idea because Roger Patton did the weather. Yeah. You know, like Roger. Clouds, he's a legend. It's funny as a hatful. Anyway, <laughs> Clouds did the weather and and, um, and we worked out, I'd sail, say, four days in that direction and then four days in another direction and there were different sequences the different things that would yeah. possibly go wrong. So if the radio just went out, for example, and everything was okay, I'd do some pattern or whatever. Yeah. Didn't have to use it though, luckily. And then, so Captain Biff Biffin of Sydney Harbour Pilots. And then Marcus said the irony of all this was that AMSA, the Australian Maritime Safety Authority, asked you to write an introduction to their safety brochure they were doing, not really thinking that by sailing alone you were going to break every single safety regulation in the, no, in the sun. That was, that was after I got back, actually, after I did that. So, um, anyway, I I did that, but I um, I think it was, it was quite strange. It, they were a wonderful help. Biff and I actually flew down to Canberra and discuss the um, maritime safety regulations in all the countries I was going to sail past yeah. and find out. And I think they had a fair idea that we were pretty serious and we had an idea of what we were doing, really. 
and uh, no, they were great support. I I love the story about when you came into Sydney Harbour and the quarantine customs vessel comes alongside. Yeah, yeah tell me about that. I think it's amazing. Well, my passport was stamped Sydney, leaving Sydney, and um, I've never really been overseas before, so I had nothing else in it. It was a new passport. <laughs> and... Um, and when I got back, no one, they were the first mob to come alongside and there was about three or four of them they jumped on and I said, we've already spoken to everybody, Marcus had spoken to everybody, all the officials, and they said they didn't need to come on. And anyway, they came on and had a look around and filled out a form or whatever and stamped my passport Sydney and off they got. And I found out later, I bumped into one of them that a at a talk or something I was doing somewhere rather, and this guy said, oh, I was one of the guys that got on your boat. And I said, well, how mean was that? No one else was allowed to get on, and you guys weren't supposed to get on. You know, um, and he said, yeah, but the boss thought it would be a great thing to do, and he asked us who'd like to get on. And after that, I was really angry. Yeah, <laughs> I reckon. So... Marcus said when he was on the phone to them trying to organise it, they're like, yeah, but where is she stopped? And Marcus is like, hey, mate, oh. the whole world knows she hasn't stopped. She's gone yeah. non-stop. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's what he kept saying. But they, they just ignored all that. <laughs> anyway, I had my passport, with, which all it had in it was Sydney, stamped, left Sydney, arrived Sydney. So good. I love that. And here's a, a beautiful shot of you with your mum and dad uh, with, with the cop boat in the background. I um, yeah. It must have been amazing to see them. And, and for your mum, I mean, I guess going, okay, it's all right. We believe in her, but we're worried. And then you came home. It must have been blissful. Yeah, that, that was great support. Yeah, I bet. Before I left and... After I got home, it was a bit difficult because I was just travelling non-stop. I mean, I hadn't been overseas before I left. And, and when I got home, I, I was overseas 11 times in the first 12 months. Wow. Because I was doing um, motivational speaking all over the world, which was an amazing experience too. Oh, it must have been phenomenal. And so many people, I've got comments coming up on the social media stream of people saying... I was there watching. My mum was jumping up and down when you finished. You were such an inspiration. So uh, you're not not something that will go by in history. I remember you saying when I want to organise this, are people still interested? I'm like, yes. <laughs> it was 32 years ago. <laughs> I know, but it's still nice. I think especially in a year like this where everyone's feeling like you do at the end of a dream where you're trying to find your next goal and you're wondering if things will ever change, will you get over this hurdle? And yeah. So... I, I, I think the um, lockdowns and the COVID has is, is made people realise how fragile life is, really. I think it's um, a lot of people, selfish people that aren't following the rules, but the people that are, I think, are fantastic following the rules and and I also would like to ask people if they're happy by themselves like I am you've got to think of 
your neighbours and everybody else, you know, just give them a call or shout over the fence or give different friends a call because there are people that are isolated and it's really bad. They don't have people calling them and I think people have got to reach out, even though you're locked up, mm. you've got to reach out to other people and help other people. For sure. I am. Um, I'm more introverted than people would think so i've been quite good Uh, but then sort of went well what can i do so we started doing this show and now we're up to week 18. but um extroverts don't really know how to reach out when they get into that zone because they go oh okay (laughs) and they get energy from other people so they end up with no energy so whereas you and i probably like woo woo Let's go. <laughs> so oh, share wow. the energy yeah. around. <laughs> I think you should. Yeah. You should. Well, there's a lot of lonely people out there mm. suffering badly because they can't even go to the shops and walk around and at least see other people. So yeah. Which is make great. an effort and bring out to people, I say. I think that's a, a great idea. And, and even though you really enjoyed being at sea for 189 days, you shared your energy with everybody for those years following, which was amazing any really cool people that you met that you remember yeah. it's amazing people i um had dinner with a couple of american presidents i um had lunch with the queen and uh, andrew and fergie <laughs> <laughs> um had lunch with edward heath wow um, I don't know, a dinner with Maggie Thatcher. Oh, that's a, that's a winner. <laughs> that was very funny. That was very funny. I was totally speechless when she sprung up to me and just said, don't tell me about your voyage. <laughs> I didn't expect it to come straight up to me. And I said, oh, I had a really nice time. All right. So many memories. Yeah, it was memories. pretty boring someone who was, pretty shy and didn't get out much yeah that's very cool and you went from not having gone anywhere to sailing around the world and then meeting everyone and sharing your story and for you i guess when you were finishing you're like what is this i mean i just did what i said i was gonna do yeah i did but when i got back um marcus back when i had the goal to raise a million dollars for life education. Yeah, which is amazing. When I got back, there was only like 30,000 in the kitty because most people didn't expect me to come back. Mm. And uh, Marcus said, what do you want to do now? And I said, I'd like to keep raising funds. So he sponsored me, or Blackmore sponsored me, um, for the next uh, couple of years to travel around the country and raise funds for life education. And we reached a million dollars in, I think it was December 91, we reached for life education. So that was another example, travelling around the country to, was fabulous, going to every outback town and all over the place. It was just the people I met were just incredible. So brilliant. Yeah, Marcus said, for her amazing achievement, Kay became Australian of the Year presented by Bob Hawke and Kay received an AO in the same year. 
She went on with the help of Blackmores and Rotary to raise $1 million for life education, the anti-drug program started by Rev Ted Knoffs at the Wayside Chapel at King's Cross for our school children. And that's how he finished his massive essay, obviously exceptionally proud of that part. He loved the chat. Yeah, I love a chat too. So it's totally fine. I'm going to get him on the show one week too. So more recently, he said two years ago, you again crewed for him on on board Southern on, on board his Southern Win 82 in the ARC race. And, yeah. Yeah, and you shared your watch with Rafa. Hilarious. <laughs> That was yeah. that was that was a great trip. It was um, uh, there were Italian, French, Dutch, <laughs> um, Aussies, Spanish, and so it was Marcus Biff and I. Marcus <laughs> had cabin forward, and Biff and I shared a cabin, and it was very funny. We we just had a lot of laughs, oh. and every now and again the crew would pop in and sit in our cabin because we're always laughing i think they and we always had a supply of chocolate <laughs> winning so different ones of the crew would pop in for a chat and a laugh and oh, no, that was fantastic yeah so yeah, hopefully and at the end of the race it was amazing we, we got into this tacking duel right at the very end in the night and um, i think we won by a couple of seconds yeah, oh. it was just Pretty extraordinary after crossing the ocean. Isn't it amazing? I see it so many times following races around the world how boats can start in one destination, get to another destination, and still be there fighting it out. Oh. I know, I know. I remember the Hobart race that you filmed, not last year before, I think, and oh. you were filming it, and we were sitting there going, Yes, yes, and it was the tacking bill at the end. Um, and Unbelievable. Your feed dropped out. Oh, no. Someone cut your line or something. Yes, Channel 7. So that was 2017. It was Comanche and Wild Oats up the doing. Yeah, that's right. And I ran Channel 7 and complained. (gasps) Yes, because they have this blocker thing. So if you get too close to their camera when they go live, and they've gone live you know, 30 seconds before they're about to finish. And I've been live for three hours. Amazing. It happened last year as well with um, Scallywag and Wild Oats 11. It's, oh, it's just crazy. I saw it yeah. at the end of the Fastnet last year, um, Marcus de Rothschild and oh, the one with, um, Frank Hamas and Charles Quadrelia and, and Jimmy Spitter was on the other one and the massive maxi trimarans and they've been yeah. apart and they finished within two inches. Oh, that is scary. It's scary, though. <laughs> They're so scary. I mean, at least... I my... Yeah, exactly. I mean, but speaking of scary, I mean, when you did your voyage, I've I've seen things that have said you almost died three times, you know, you rolled the boat. Uh, Marcus said that Johnny Denton, shout out to Johnny Denton, built your mast and he was ordered to build the mast so the boat could roll three times and it was still withstanding <laughs> craziness. Yeah. It, didn't, it didn't roll right round. I didn't do a 360, okay. luckily. Yeah. Um, but uh, got knocked flat and pushed along in the breakers on, on the side many times. Yeah. 
I have a mortal fear of breaking waves for good reason, I think. <laughs> I did. The last time um, I was knocked flat was uh, the scariest thing was um, after the art race with Marcus, mm -hmm. um, I helped deliver his boat across the Pacific. So we went through, this is the Southern Wind 82, yeah. we went through the um, Panama Canal, we went to Galapagos, the Marquesas, the Tuamotus. And um, I was supposed to get off, I think, in the Marquesas, but there was an airline strike in the Marquesas. <laughs> <laughs> I had to stay on the boat and we oh. went to the Tuamotu Islands and then we went to uh, Tahiti. Oh, beautiful. And somewhere along the way, uh, there was a pretty big storm hit us and, uh, and the boat got knocked flat. Far out. And, and I was in the boat and you're talking about a boat that big. Yeah. That's frightening. So it, it was pretty scary. Um, but uh, anyway, I rushed. I up on deck and it was okay. It was, I mean, I was used to walking on the sides of the cupboards in First Lady, but I got used to walking on the sides of the, yeah. facing the cupboards on First Lady, but when you're running down, walking on the side of the um, fridge yeah. in an 82 footer, that was scary. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this one on its side is sort of like a dinghy in Ooh. comparison. Yeah. Far out. Yeah. And, um, I remember Marcus being right across. He wasn't on board, by the way. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> he would have been thrown out of his bunk. Not yeah. happy, man. No. <laughs> there would have been a lot of chocolate required after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, so good. And here we have First Lady at the museum, and, and you actually got involved with the, the board of museum, and you've, you've been helping out at the Australian National Museum, not not recently, but you did for quite a number of years. Yeah, I was on the board for five years. Yeah. And then I was appointed chairman for six years. And uh, that was an amazing Here again, amazing people you meet. And, and uh, it was a great achievement to help support it when it, it just opened. And... Um, I remember the uh, there was a Labor government, I won't mention who, and a Liberal, a Labor state government, Liberal, Federal, and yeah. the only Federal organisation outside of Canberra mm. like that. And uh, and they were renting a, a building for all of the um, administration and conservation and everything just up the road. But then the Star Casino was coming in, so the rent was going to go through the roof, and and so the government said, well, you'll have to go and rent somewhere out near Parramatta or somewhere where it's cheaper. You can't do that to a maritime museum where you've got to have all the staff and everything close. So I just went hell for leather to try and get all seven, which was um, going to be sold by the state government to private enterprise and Wolf 7 was as you know right alongside the National Maritime Museum yeah. so and uh, the staff and the board I had at the time was sensational and we went hell for leather to get that and eventually got the Labor 
state government to sell it to us. I think we had to pay four and a half million. And we wanted to build a building on it. Um, but the feds wouldn't give us any money, of course. And we worked out we could borrow the money and build a building with an extra floor on it and we could lease that floor and that would pay off the whole loan in 10 years. And then the museum would be set up for life and it would also have room for expansion or um, it would have place that could be rented and get a, an income when things are tight like they are now for all the institutions around Australia. Yeah. And um, and <laughs> we went to um, the feds and said we want to borrow, I think it was $19.5 million we needed, and they said no. And then um, we said, well, we'll go private. And they said, no, no institution in this country has ever borrowed privately, you know, from a bank, God forbid. Um, anyway, it went on and on and, and we were really stuck. And so um, I rang the finance minister at the time, who was John Fay, and I said, John, I'm going to tell you a story. And I told him about the museum and we got the building and we could build it and it would be all paid off in 10 years and the government wouldn't have to pay rent forevermore for all of the administration and the conservation and everything like that. And he said, that's a great idea. What's your problem? And I said, your department won't let us borrow the money. And he said, I'll fix that. And he did. Hmm. And it fixed it, so we borrowed, and and that's well, I don't know, it might be twenty years ago now. They've had the income from wow. massive income from a whole floor of the building, and they've moved in. And also, um, we got uh, Sydney Maritime Museum, who's now called Sydney Heritage Fleet. We got them to come into the new space, and and they share the museum with us. So, so nice. That building <laughs> yeah. now is where we saw the inaugural induction to the Australian Sailing Hall of Fame. That's right. Yeah, and that's when yeah. I last saw you, which was fantastic. And upstairs, I think Google's renting. <laughs> that works. Oh, is it? Yeah. Foxtel. Yeah. Foxtel was there for years. So it's a fabulous spot. Oh, it's such a great Foxtel. spot. That gives the museum an income for acquisitions and things like that and, and to look after their fleet. So good. I, I love that museum. Yeah. I really do. I used to I used to actually work weddings at that venue when I was in uni, which was really fun. Because <laughs> I'd be like, break and run into the museum, which was really cool. I used to MC and, and do music and stuff at weddings, and, and that yeah. venue was one I really of my And, yeah, and I, I had Lee, I mean, a funny story, Vicky um, Cannon was on the board, and they built a new boardroom in the new building, not that one, in the original, when they were building the original building. Yeah. And it was like the Cuddy Sarks wardroom. And i got to say, when I was in England, I was lucky enough all those years ago to have dinner on board the Cuddy Sark in the officers' mess. Yeah. And no one had eaten in there since. And that was with Naomi James and a couple of other people. And uh, no one had eaten in there since it was a sailing ship. So. Oh, that was amazing. But anyway, um, the uh, 
I'm waffling now. No, no, I'm it's sorry. all right. So many memories. I feel like we don't have enough time for all of your memories. Yeah. Oh, and I, love, I love Marcus said you didn't even pass uh, English in your high school exams, but you've now written two books. One about the actual voyage, one about your life afterward. Uh, it's pretty special. <laughs> yeah, I did have trouble. I still do have trouble. I'm ADHD, as you probably can gather. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> oh, really? What was your first kid? <laughs> no, I think I think people uh, who are ADHD are very gifted people because they are able to make a goal and go for it, which is amazing so if you can be yeah, that one minded about and, a goal i think also they don't see obstacles mm. so one side of it they decide to do something i mean i i do all sorts of things i call myself jack of all trades master of none <laughs> i i say that i'm very good at a few things and i'm not going to do anything else i wish i could do the same <laughs> Oh, no, I'm, I'm yeah. someone, I've always got stuff going on. I got new colouring pencils from my mum yesterday because ah. I, I always draw when I've got a bit of time, which helps me think and focus. Fantastic. Yeah, and I know you're a bit of an artist too. <laughs> and you're a bit of an artist too, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I paint and sculpt and um, I sew. I just actually... I just sewed a, a, um, a dummy bimini for my boat to see what it looked like in a scooter. In a, you know, scooter from scooter sales? Yeah, yeah. Well, he operates out of the marina and, and I put all the stainless piping together. I gathered all these pipes and bends and what have you and, and put it all together and I built this giant bimini. And I thought, before I use the real pop, because I've got a, a mini... Um, Sailmaker's machine because I love sewing. And uh, I got all these scraps of blue canvas stuff that I had laying around, and I made a dummy bimini to see if it was going to be too big or if I liked the shape of it or whatever. The scooter walked past the other week and looked at it and said, Hmm, not bad, interesting mix of fabrics. Just like a collage. Oh, well, I had to tell him it was just a dummy one. Yeah. I didn't have any florals in it. It was all plain blue. That's fine. No, that's good. It's nice. It's nice to recycle things. I think that's really, really lovely. So, um, it's um, you, you mentioned the Cuddy Suck before because you were the first Australian recipient of the Cuddy Suck medal from the Duke of Edinburgh, which is pretty cool. So it must have been nice to have that full circle as well to get the medal and then be on board. I wonder how many people have actually done that. I don't know. I don't I don't know that anybody has dined on this since. So yeah. I think I'm incredibly lucky. And won the um, medal. Well, that, was the, that was the night before that they closed the Cutty Sark for the day and um, they put on a lunch and all these amazing people were there and the lunch was with the Duke of Edinburgh. Mm. And uh, it's so amazing. He presented the award then. Far out. So many memories. We'll have to definitely read your book and, and get a few more of them. So um, 
I'll just I'll read you one last thing from Marcus and and we'll have a little bit of a chat about that. So basically, the, here are the facts. This is this is not from Marcus. So on fifth of June, you were greeted by more than a hundred thousand well wishes, which is pretty incredible. You'd sailed twenty two thousand one hundred nautical miles at an average speed of one hundred and seventeen nautical miles per day. So for non-sailors, that's about 200 kilometers. As part of the sponsorship, we heard that you actually named the boat after your dad. And then he actually mentioned that you were really close to his mum, but and then you guys were really super close, but she unfortunately passed away whilst you were at sea. Um, but then you did something pretty special once you'd finished, which is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> so he said that it, he said one of his favourite memories was actually taking her ashes out on First Lady and scattering oh, them. Yeah. We did. We did. Yeah. We took the ashes out. She gave me a ring that good luck and I wore it on my neck. You could see it on my neck when I got back in, yeah. um, hanging on a chain. And uh, when I got back, we went out. I took a family. I was very close to Marcus's sister as well, darling. Um, she was a great friend and her and her family and the kids and everything went out on First Lady and we scattered Marcus's mother's ashes out there and, and then we all had flowers so we threw lots of flowers around and and just drifted around and the boat drifted around in a circle so it was just around the flowers which was pretty amazing it is pretty amazing yeah. so many memories marcus also said to tell you that he's going sailing today so he'll be sailing right now actually he's out training on his mc38 they've got a regatta next weekend <laughs> yeah, I'm going to touch base with him next Saturday at Royal Prince Alfred Yacht Club, do a few interviews for the Sydney to Auckland race, which should happen next year. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what's going to happen with the um, America's Cup? Oh, golly. Is that it's still as far as everyone's concerned, here you go. You heard it here first, sailing news in 60 seconds extended. Um, as far as everybody's concerned, they've now worked out how to get people involved with the regatta in to New Zealand. They have yeah. to apply for every single person that they're bringing in and all of those people have to quarantine for two weeks at their expense in a New Zealand hotel. So yeah. the American Magic team should be done any day now because they're hoping to be on the water in the next two days. So, so they'll be the first there and followed by yeah. Ineos and the last team to come in will be Prada. Anybody else who's coming, uh, it could be somewhat limited if they're outside of the trans-Tasman bubble, if we can sort out this Victorian issue and New Zealand actually wants to let us in. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see what Cheers. happens. It is really different. I was meant to be going to Tokyo this week and a lot of people oh. who were meant to be heading there. So it's a very odd feeling going, I'm going to do this. And then it just being taken out of hand. No, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I just keep thinking all the time. I just suddenly think, well, I can't do that. Mm. I, just, well, I think, oh, I'll go and see my mum. 
and I can go and see her, I can have a cup of tea sitting outside the building and talking to her through a window. But yeah, locked in for months and no one can give anybody hugs. No, I am. I know what you mean about your mum. My mum's mum. We had Mother's Day outside her window. Hello, oh. <laughs> happy Mother's Day. <laughs> you feel like a performing clown. Yeah, um, we've all turned into my martyrs. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh golly! Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to let you go, Kate. As much as I wish that I could chat to you all day, it's been absolutely phenomenal. I'm just going to run through some of the social media comments for you. Oh. One of them's hilarious. You must be stoked to have your name in a Midnight Oil song. <laughs> I can't find that song. People have said that before. Oh, and I'll message different. and say, what song she wants to know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We're going to find it. I'll send you that song. If anybody knows what song it is who's watching, send it to me. I'll send you a prize. That can be the weekly oh. competition prize for this week. I usually do a trivia competition. But I wanted to talk to you about all of it rather than trivia. Pardon? One of your prizes. I'll donate a book to someone. Oh, for that one would of your be prizes. fantastic. It has to be not this question. It'll have to be no. one. Okay, cool. Well, I will do my trivia competition this week then. And if you've watched the show, you'll know because it will be based on Kay Cotty's amazing sailing career. And we might donate a book for that. But if somebody can tell me who or what the song was, here we go. We've got it. King of the Mountain, it's called. Thank you, Craig Weaver. I will send you a Pantaneous prize pack. It's a wet bag, uh, a big wet bag. They're pretty cool, actually. I'll show you. Hang on. It's a wet bag. Look, it's a glamour. Oh, that's good. It's bigger than me. A wet bag and a whole bunch of other goodies. A water bottle like this. We like our non-single-use plastic peoples. <laughs> but king of the mountain i'll send it to you okay what a glamour <laughs> thank you craig weaver absolutely love it yeah so many people just saying where they were and what they were doing when you finished the race so um still pretty special even though you didn't think so <laughs> still don't <laughs> that's not true do you ever visit do you ever visit first lady do you miss her i do visit um, now and again, if I get a chance, and what I try and do is just one of the conditions that First Lady went to the museum was that um, people had to be able to go on board yeah. because that story rather than just a static stand there and look at it. And so every now and again, if I am down there and it's quiet, I'll go and sit on First Lady by myself. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think people who don't get sentimental about their boats haven't spent enough time on their boat. <laughs> no. No. Oh, God. no, I'd take it back in a minute, a heartbeat, really. Yeah, well, at least if the museum ever has to move her on, they'll know where to send her. Through me into the contract. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I love it. A girl after my own heart. That's fantastic. Well, if you just stay on the line, Kay, I'll catch up with you once we go off air. But to everybody, thank you so much for joining us for the 18th episode of Adventures Weekly. We've got a whole bunch of amazing women coming up in the next few weeks. I'm going to do a bit of a focus on Sailor Girls, continuing our theme 
of those sailing diehards that are amongst us doing great things to continue this the passion of our sport which we just love so see you all next week friday night and i'll also be at the rpa on saturday i haven't been back to sydney not been in sydney since mid-march because i've been locked down uh seriously down here on the south coast i'll be at the rpa on saturday and i'll be at the cyc on sunday so looking forward to seeing everybody next weekend bye thank you Kay. bye, bye. bye.